Good morning, everyone. The passage today is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. You may be seated. If you would join me one more time in praying together as we uh, prepare for God's word. Father, I thank you that you are with us. As Thomas prayed, that wonderful truth that he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And though the enemy buffet and press, attempt to bring dismay, you are so faithful and you are so just. You love us extravagantly. May we never forget that wondrous truth. And the promise and proof of that is the gospel of your son. We want to especially pray for our gospel partners. I do believe that they are under tremendous amounts of attack by Satan and his schemes. Protect them, O Lord, especially for George and Carolyn and Hans. Surround them with your armies of angels. But most of all, your presence by your spirit that you would cause them to remember so well that even as the Israelites crossed through that water, the Red Sea, with the raging, raging water on each side, but you faithfully and graciously provided a way. May they know that. May our brothers and sisters in Africa know that so well. Just really pray for your strength upon them. And may they not be discouraged, but instead have even more faith, be full of faith, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. We just really pray for blessings on them, O Lord. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared last week that we are in a spiritual war all the time. I'm going to repeat that time and time again throughout this series. Until we go home to be with the Lord, we are in a war. And the world scoffs at this idea. They say that's ridiculous because the material world is all there is, the natural world. That's it. And there's the ridicule that comes with the idea that we live in a spiritual world as well, that Christians are so ignorant, that the gospel is so foolish. This is not something that has happened yesterday or today, but since Christ was preaching the good news since he was crucified, the message of foolishness for those who believe in Christ has been the charge from the very beginning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Paul also describes 
what Satan has done to the world that we live in. For the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So Paul writes in Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. Simply to believe in the God of the Bible is to be a fool according to our world. And this is becoming more the norm of the world's perspective is that Christians are foolish. I saw a protester the other day on the news with the sign, if Jesus returns, kill him again. That's the heart and perspective of the world that we live in. And it is not unpredictable. The Bible notes that this is how the world is. So one thing is for certain, we can and must realize that this fight that we are fighting is perpetual. And until we realize this, we won't be able to stand. But the promise of what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 6 is that you can stand. You are able to stand. As hard and difficult as the struggle is, we are able to withstand that struggle. While we are in a fight, let us not be disheartened. Instead, the more you realize this fight, what the nature of this fight is, how life truly is, only then will you know how to fight. And ultimately, you'll also know the promise as the reward, the goal, the prize of that fight, which is the fullness of joy of knowing what Jesus accomplished at the cross. You will understand God, his grace, his love, his mercy far more than you ever could have dreamt, dreamt of or imagined if you didn't understand this fight at all. So today we're going to be looking at two aspects, two more aspects of this fight, a little bit delving a little deeper each time. First, we're going to be looking at standing and second, wrestling. Standing is quite a theme throughout this passage. So we're going to go into it a little bit and then each time just delve in a little bit more. First, let's look at standing. And by this fight that we're talking about, it means that we're ready to stand. Look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Going to look here at standing because standing means essentially persevering. Think of most sporting events. All of them have that idea of persevering, athletic contests. They all have that essentially in mind, which is something that Paul really appreciated, which, which is athletics. And you've heard many of the expressions that come from this idea of persevering, standing. Sometimes you have to lose the battle to win the war, you might have heard. Or if you get knocked down, you have to get right back up again. Yogi Berra, former Yankee, says, it ain't over till it's over. Or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. All of those are persevering cliches. That is to say that you will be knocked down. You will be pressed down, but it's not being pressed down. It's what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? What do all of these assume? They assume to win the competition or the fight or the battle, you will be hurt or injured. You will lose sometimes. You will fail sometimes. But standing means you get 
right back up. You don't wallow in despair or self-pity. You don't stay down. You decide to move forward. Listen to what Paul says about a race in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is to say, we press on, we strive, we strain, we persevere. The problem, dear friends, is not that we get knocked down or things become difficult. The problem is that we become surprised when that happens to us because there is this false deceptive idea that Christians do not get hurt or do not face suffering or never undergo physical or spiritual attack. Paul expresses that many times he was knocked down by the world, by his own flesh, and by Satan. Listen to how Paul describes it in in his letter to the Corinthians. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see, Paul wasn't surprised when he suffered. Jesus makes it very clear to Christians that in this world, you will have trouble. But there's a promise to that in John 16, Take heart, I've overcome the world. So my friends, don't be shocked or surprised when you are attacked or reviled or hurt. You shouldn't be surprised when a loved one betrays you, when someone you care about lets you down. Remember the same thing happened to Jesus. One of his own beloved disciples, Judas, betrays him. And Jesus taught in Luke 6.40, he said this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That is, whatever Jesus faced from this world, we're going to face the same things. We're not above him. We shouldn't be insulated, and we're not, from the very things that Jesus himself faced. As his disciples, we're going to struggle. Jesus didn't protect us from that. He warned us of it in Luke 9.23 in that great passage that speaks about discipleship. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So my friends, until you realize that you are in a war, that you know there is real attack and suffering, until you realize that you won't be able to stand. But when you realize that, you can stand. You can persevere. As Paul says, you won't be crushed. Will you be impacted? Yes, but not crushed. You won't be despairing. You might be uh, dealing with the struggles and burdens of life, but you will not despair until you realize that you will get punched by this world's troubles. Only after you feel just how difficult that punch is and yet you still trust in God, are you able to stand and follow. I want to read to you an account of an MMA fighter who tells the story of the first time he was punched. He says, my very first MMA fight, I was very new and very nervous. I had only been training two months. I went in 
touched gloves, and was Superman punched in the face. I answered with a body kick and attempted to clinch and knee. He caught my knee, body slammed me, mounted me, and beat my face in for a minute or so of me trying to be tough but having no idea how to escape the mount. The ref stopped it. After that whooping, I am never afraid to be hit or be in a fight because nothing can be as bad as having your sinuses crushed, septum deviated, and face generally reduced to meat. I know that if I can take that many unanswered shots to my dome and not go out, then I have nothing to fear from any punch or any person for that matter. <laughs> you know, I, I know that's a sort of a very vivid story, but I sort of liken that to spiritual war, actually. You know, Satan, he throws a lot of terrifying blows and punches, darts and arrows of all kind in all directions. We're going to be covering this much throughout what that looks like. But know this, whether it's conflict in marriage, terrible sins committed, rebellious children, a society gone amok, church splits, personal emotional distress, tragedy, betrayal from a close friend, no matter what it is, when you remember that Jesus has taken those death blows, the fiercest of blows possible by the enemy, and he realized he, he defeated it. He blocked it back. He did it for us. That means that no matter how much we are knocked down, no matter how fierce the blows, we can stand. Jesus rose from the grave. He stood so that we could stand. He defeated death forever. So we need not be afraid. Second, we have to recognize that wrestling is a very personal fight. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Wrestling is a very personal conflict because you wrestle essentially one-on-one. -on -one. Now, this isn't to say that there isn't a wrestling or a battle as a body. There is that, and we will talk much about that coming soon. But Paul interestingly writes the word wrestle, and you usually think of wrestling, and Paul did, from the context of an athletic context. But when you think about this passage, it's not about athletics, it's about war. So what is Paul talking? Why is he mixing his metaphors? The reason is because if you've ever watched a movie like Lord of the Rings and you see the, the orc and the, you know, the armies of Gondor and you watch two fighters fighting each other in full armor, once they get into close combat, it really becomes hand to hand combat, one on one. And Paul essentially uses this metaphor to describe for us how personal this fight is. That is to say, we are fighting together, but like a battle, we are also fighting individually as well. Both are concurrently happening at the same time. You're not alone, but you're still fighting hand to hand. This is a battle for your life. And it's very much personal, ongoing, and it takes all of your efforts to fight off and ward off the enemy. You might not like the sound of all this. But if you try to ignore it, it's no different than a little child sticking their fingers into their ears and saying, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. 
imagining as though somehow ignorance is going to help win the day. But we all know that's not how it works in real life. You have to know that you are fighting for your life. So how do you wrestle? Well, recognize that wrestling is not materially discerned. It is spiritually discerned. And until we realize this to be true, we won't know how to wrestle and fight this fight. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Meaning, you have to see your enemy as he is. He is not a material enemy. He is a spiritual enemy, and that spiritual enemy must be spiritually discerned. There are spiritual forces at work throughout our lives all the time. Now, I want you to consider this. If you are married and you have a conflict with your spouse, your wife, or your husband, isn't it our first instinct to think that, well, we need to think about why our communication is so off or what are our priorities and, or we, we come up with our strategies and plans and lists. Those are all helpful part of the process, but recognize that there is an enemy at work. And what he wants to do is to incite division. Know that whenever you have a conflict, the enemy is at work. He's part of the process. I'm not saying he's always taking over everything. Sometimes he does. And something we need to realize, but many times, all pretty much all the times that there is some sort of conflict, there is a devil and his demons and his angels who are fighting and inciting and accusing and, and just really fomenting a greater passion, a feel within your own heart. That's at work. Paul is saying we have to realize this. If you've ever been disappointed or hurt by a person, don't just see that as someone's personality not connecting with yours. Don't think of it merely as a physical response or reaction. Have you ever experienced, whether it's from you or from a, another person, just an emotional outburst, maybe rage, something that just seems out of the ordinary? It's very easy to dismiss that and say, just having a bad day, or maybe there's some physiological problem. But recognize this, that there is an enemy at work. If you've ever responded more forcefully than you really understood, and just somehow it just bubbled up and blew out, ever wonder why something bothers you so much that when you're about to go to sleep, the thought just keeps on coming and it's replaying in your head. And if you're having a hard time sleeping because you're imagining or thinking and, and you're just, and it's in, Increasing anger. Know that there are spiritual forces at work. One thing Satan and his demons want is for you to turn away from Christ. And he knows he is very cunning. And he knows the way he can do that is to control your thoughts. And we're going to talk about that. There is a spiritual whispering that is ongoing. There are voices that though they might not be audible, they're in your heart, in your mind. And they're conniving you into believing that God doesn't care about you. You're not good enough, or maybe you're too good. This person doesn't care about you. They don't understand you. 
You need to fight your own way. It's, it's so often that we are looking deeply for understanding. And that's one of the key thoughts is people do not understand me. It's exactly why Hebrews talks about Jesus being empathetic, empathetic with us. He is the great high priest. He is the one who empathizes and mediates for you. Satan, what he does is try to say to you that no one understands you, not Jesus, no one, not your husband, not your wife, not your children, not your parents, no one. If you use that phrase, you have to reprocess that and really say, I know Jesus understands me. Whatever I feel, he understands perfectly. And therefore, I don't need full understanding from everybody else. I can trust him with that. And that frees me to relinquish that idea. So recognize that. Another way in which we see this enemy spiritually at work is what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know, I've read that verse many times in my life. And it's very easy to think of that verse metaphorically. To think, well, what Paul is really saying is that we should really do our best to get rid of anger as much as possible because it's, it's harmful to our souls. So we sort of think of it like that, but we rarely think of it from the spiritual perspective because Paul makes it so clear that lest you give the devil a foothold. Now, the reason why we need to think of this literally rather than metaphorically is because of chapter 6. Paul is going through great lengths in chapter 6, just the very, essentially the next chapter, is telling us, be mindful of the devil's schemes. Withstand, persevere, wrestle. So let us not think of verse 4, verses 26 and 27 as though it's just sort of a, a another way of saying, hey, deal with your anger problems. No. He's actually saying that your anger, my anger, it actually opens our hearts to the devil. Literally, it does. And I want you to imagine this. You have a, you went grocery shopping and you have a bag of groceries. So you, you know, get your keys out of your pocket or your purse and you, you open the door and you push the door open and you're, you're about to, you go inside. And as the door is about to close shut, suddenly, a foot comes into the door and you you turn around and the door swings open and there's a man and he's a murderer. He's a killer. What Paul is saying is when you become angry, irritated, frustrated, you are letting a killer come into your door, your house, your heart. And trust me, he is more dangerous than any physical murderer can ever be because a physical murderer can take your physical life, but he cannot touch your soul. But the devil, you let him in, he can bring you down eternally. If that were possible, it's another whole nother story. But here's the point. What Paul is saying is, do not let the sun go down on your anger, meaning deal with this today. Do not go to sleep. Husbands and wives, children, parents, you have to 
deal with anger now. If you do not, Hebrews, Hebrews 12 talks about a root of bitterness. It will control you. And it's not just a personality problem. It's not just about anger management. Your very soul is at stake. Let's take this verse literally. Let's do all that we can. If you are angry with somebody, get that out. Do not give the devil a foothold. You must, must fight this battle. And you must see that this is a spiritual war. So there is a wrestling for your life that is at stake. Next is a wrestling for your mind. Again, let's go back to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers. The God of this world or this age is just another name for Satan. And we'll talk about Satan more in the coming weeks. But look at what he has done. He has blinded minds. Now, the blinded minds does not refer to natural ability because we know that many unbelievers have great intellect and skill, artistic skill, musical talent. What Paul is speaking about is that, and frankly, the devil doesn't care about natural ability. He only cares about it if he can use it for his purposes. What he really cares about is keeping people from Christ, keeping you from actually wanting to worship God, to love him, to follow him, to tell others about him. And so he is going to do all that he can to blind you, and he does, to the world he does. They cannot, unbelievers cannot see Christ for who he truly is because that's what the devil does. He he creates a fog, something so thick. And if you've ever driven through a really, and I have, in a mountain pass, and you could literally see only one or two feet in front you feel as though you're going to go off a cliff. This, When the fog is that thick, and that's what the devil does, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. And so when he does so, Christ becomes an object of wrath and rage, of hatred. They despise the gospel. They despise Christ. Look at the book of Acts. Paul describes uh, Luke describes how people were so infuriated and enraged by Stephen when he was preaching Christ. Listen to how Luke records in Acts chapter 7 the people's response after Stephen spoke about Jesus. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. You listen to that response. What was Stephen doing? He was preaching the gospel. He was telling them that they needed to know Christ. But that response is so extraordinarily emotional. And may I say it's demonic, satanic. We don't even need to go to the Bible to see this to be true. Just speak of Jesus at work, on the streets, in the schools, in politics, and you will see rage and fury. There is no greater proof that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers than to say and talk and speak about Jesus in our world. Satan wants your mind. He wants you to be either convinced that there is no God and no gospel or distracted 
by anything and everything, and it doesn't matter what it is, including even Christian things, as long as you're distracted from following Christ and depending on him and trusting in him, he doesn't even mind Jesus as long as Jesus is your second priority. See, he actually likes that. That's actually more strategic for him. He wants you to follow Jesus, but as a second priority. Because he knows if he can get you to do that, you won't really follow him. You will be just like the rich young ruler. I will do everything, but not that one thing. If he can get you to do that, he is one. If you are living in fear for your life or for your children, if you are anxious about the future, know that that's not just some random thought that comes out of the air. That's our flesh, the world, and Satan just inciting destroying. James 1.8 says and describes a person who is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. That is Satan's goal. See, Satan, it's not about, he's not trying to get everyone to be a worshiper of Satan. Anton LaVey, who was the first priest of the satanic church, that's the, that's not what Satan cares about at all. He's much smarter than that because everyone knows, oh, you don't want to you don't want to be in a place where there's a bunch of pentagrams and animal sacrifices and, you know, everyone talk 666 numbered everywhere. That's people run away from that. What Satan wants is double minded people. People who say, I worship God, but I love money. I worship God, but I want my kids success more than anything else. I worship God, but I don't make me give up all of my securities, my whatever that is. He knows that when you have both, trying to balance both, you become an unstable person, a double-minded person. And that is dangerous. I've been at the church climbing the ladder, uh, doing some painting. And oh, there was, as most of you know, I'm not, I'm not that familiar with climbing ladders. Actually. I don't do it too often. But some of the ladders are pretty high. And there's almost like a one step where it goes from being stable to being unstable. I think you know what I'm talking about. And there are a couple of times where I went to that step and I could feel, and I'm pretty high up, and I could feel my balance being off. And you just sense the instability and how it just started, you know, I'm starting imagining what if I fell off of that height from pretty high up? I could either be paralyzed or die or whatever. Something bad could happen. I mean, that's essentially what what James is saying is that when we are not following Christ, we are deeply unstable and our lives are at stake. How do you counter that? Again, we're going to speak much about the countering of it when we talk about putting on the whole armor of God. But Paul writes about this countering of the wrestling of your mind in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The expulsive power of a new affection, as Thomas Chalmers says, to have so many big thoughts about God that it exposes 
expels the evil thoughts, that it pushes it out. Your brain only has, your mind only has a certain amount of capacity, spiritually speaking. And so if you're able to press out all of the junk that we are in inundated with all the time and including a lot of the news and political news and you know we might think and all the fears about coronavirus maybe you're reading about that over and over how when's there gonna be a vaccine or thinking about all sorts of things and it's just cluttering our hearts and our minds we have to counteract that with god's word you know the stuff that we're ingesting in our minds it's literally like a poison and when you ingest a poison you're brought to the hospital, they pump your stomach, and then they put your into your body some counteracting agents, some antidotes for that poison. Well, spiritually speaking, the enemy is filling your mind with poison, the world and the enemy. And the antidote is God's word. That's why I really want to direct you. If you haven't yet been able to watch it, it's on our YouTube channel, but Chris's seminar and talk on memorizing scripture you need to watch that. It really is the antidote for the wrestling of your mind. It counteracts the poison. Memorizing scripture, having it deeply embedded into your soul, as Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So many uh, there are many other ways that we come together to overcome in Christ. That's what we're going to be speaking of throughout this whole series. One author describes this wrestling well. The church is not a cruise ship sailing for heaven. We are not invited to ride the gospel showboat that entertains the saints. We are called to serve on a battleship that destroys strongholds and delivers the gospel to those living in darkness. You and I are not on a cruise ship, a spiritual cruise ship. We are on a battleship. And until you realize that, you will not be ready to fight. But when you realize that, how much more power and joy and peace you will have. After this message, you might feel tired and exhausted. You might think, how do I fight that fight? If you're saying it's fighting all the time, I just feel as though I want to give up. It just seems so hard. Let's go back to verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is why Paul wrote that verse as the foundation for all that is to come in this fight, is that the strengthening is coming from God himself. We're passive recipients of that. First and foremost, we are receivers of God's power, the mighty God who is far more supreme than anything the devil can ever launch at us and the devil himself and all of his armies. As we spoke of, he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. This is why Paul begins this final passage this way. You have the power to fight not within you, but the Christ of all glory through his spirit who dwells in you. So do not feel powerless or frustrated, or disheartened, or even despairing. Let me close with this story. It's the story of one of my kids. You know, when Carissa was a a um, toddler, pre-care, we went to our friend's house to stay with them, and they had a puzzle piece about the size of a book for a big puzzle. And on this puzzle piece, 
It was a pretty big piece. was a line that looked like the piece was actually split into two parts. And so she assumed that you pull the pieces apart, they come together, and you place them into the puzzle board. Well, she sat there and she was pulling with all her might, trying to pull apart the puzzle piece. And it would not break apart because obviously it was a faux line. She just couldn't do it. And she grunted and pulled and sweated and got frustrated so much that she started crying. We came over, explained to her what the situation was, that no amount of effort would ever pull apart this piece. And we showed her how she could just put it back into the puzzle as a whole and it would work and all is well. She stopped crying, was all happy, making her puzzle. You know, sometimes I do think that many times we try to fight this war, spiritual war that way, by our own strength. We have our own solution to the problem. And it is so frustrating and taxing and trying and despairing. Here's the problem is that you can either decide this is a spiritual war and I will fight using spiritual weapons. Or you can say, ah, forget the spiritual war stuff. Let's go physical, material. And therefore, when you have a conflict with someone you love, all you think about is all of your, the solutions that you say, if, if she only got this, if he only got this, if he only understood this, you will be more frustrated than ever before. That's not joy. That's not the road to joy. That is no different than my daughter trying to split apart a, a puzzle piece that cannot be split apart that way. It takes a relinquishing to the father saying, I trust you. You fight for me. You are the strong warrior. You are the mighty God. And when I follow your way, no matter how hard it comes, I know I will win. I know I can get through this. Even though I fall, I will stand. I will not give up. And the way we know this to be true is that the cross and the atoning work of Jesus Christ proves to us that his way is the ultimate way. He has won victory. And it's this reality that makes us confident that we will win this war. We have won in Christ. So we can fight. Let us stand. Let us wrestle. Let us fight. And let us trust in our mighty and powerful God. Let's pray together and prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we come to you with much thanksgiving and praise. You alone are Lord. You alone are good. Help us, O oh Lord, to see this truth, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age. And we never need to be afraid because you have won victory already at the cross. You have conquered death and sin forever, and you have defeated the works of the devil the conclusion is set. The war has been won. Father, I, I just pray more than anything else that those of us who are in this fight, that maybe for the first time we are seeing Satan and his schemes as he is. I pray that you would help us to, to see the world rightly so. And in so doing, 
I know that we will have so much more peace. Lord, I pray for those who are in the bondage over perhaps um, anger, fear, and we've tried to fight that off simply by material schemes, but we're seeing a lack of fruit because this is not something, as Jesus says, sometimes this will not even come out by, but by fasting and prayer. So Lord, help us to see the world as it truly is. We give you praise and thanks for your son and all that he accomplished for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.